Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. And hello there, and welcome to Frankie Sense and More. Today I have a very different but a very special show for you. And while it's not, you know, the usual Frankie Sense, I think that you will find it extremely entertaining. You know, there was a time in America that everybody knew the name Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy was a union activist from a young age, and he played a major role in the growth and development of the unions, especially, you know, making his way up to general president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters uh, between 1958 and 1971. In 1975, Jimmy Hoffa disappeared. He vanished and was eventually declared dead in 1982. And since then, And this is why many people may remember his name today. He has been at the center of many a conspiracy theory. And those theories were laid to rest by author Charles Brandt, whose book, I Heard You Paint Houses, includes the deathbed confession of Hoffa's killer and close friend, Frank the Irishman Sheeran. Well, with me today is Charles Brandt. He is a former junior high school English teacher, welfare investigator, homicide prosecutor, and chief deputy attorney general of the state of Delaware. And he was in private practice since 1976. Charles has been elected president of the Delaware Trial Lawyers Association, Delaware chapter of the American Board of Trial Advocates, and he has been named by his peers as one of the best lawyers in America and one of the best lawyers in Delaware. He is a frequent speaker on cross-examination and interrogation techniques uh, for reluctant witnesses. And Charles is also the author, as I already mentioned. Uh, oh, I didn't say this. He's the, also the author of The Right to Remain Silent, a book um, that he wrote based on the major crimes that he solved through interrogation. And he lives in Iowa today, uh, or Idaho, with his wife, Nancy, <laughs> and his three grown children. Idaho and Iowa, potatoes, potatoes, um, has, has three grown children. I'm sorry about that, Charles. Welcome. Oh, thank you. What fun. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, you, I hate to say this, you wrote a killer book, and no pun intended. It is a wonderful book. And I have to ask, you know, the question that everybody is asking, why you? How did you come to meet Frank Sheeran, and why did he tell you the story? Well, I have to tell you, that there are lawyers that I, colleagues of mine in Delaware, that call it divine providence, that he should land in my lap, because I taught cross-examination to other lawyers, and I taught interrogation to other cops. And the the older book that you mentioned that came out in 1988, The Right to Remain Silent, was a book about uh, homicides that I solved through interrogation of suspects and the obtaining of confessions. Well, uh, what happened was that by the time our path crossed, he was in prison. Uh, He had been convicted of labor racketeering and given 32 years in jail. The reason they gave him 32 years in jail is that he was the number one suspect in Jimmy Hoffa's disappearance. Charlie, Uh, didn't he get two two terms of 32 years? Is that a different... Well, it's a total of 32. He got an 18 and a 14. Oh, okay. Two different trials. Good for you. I've got to watch my step with you. (laughs) (laughs) But but he did get 32. He got them back-to-back. They were consecutive terms, so they didn't meld into one another 
as a concurrent term would. So they were 18 and 14 makes 32, and he was serving uh, 32 years in prison. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that time, I had elevated my law practice to medical malpractice, uh, suing doctors in hospitals and uh, who, who commit grievous injury through their carelessness that to their patients. <laughs> and uh, I got a call from a representative of the Philadelphia Mafia, guy by the name of Franny McDonald, uh, and he wanted to hire me to get Frank the Irishman Sheeran out of prison on medical grounds. He was then 70 years old, and he had severe spinal stenosis, and since I did medical work, would I get him out? Well, it was easy. The, the prison really didn't want to have to take care of a guy that, as sick as he was who needed surgery and then needed aftercare. And when I got him out, uh, he took my staff and me to a lunch at an Italian mafia hangout. And um, it was Frank and then eight guys named Rocco sitting around a table. And they were all talking about how amazing it was that they were all still alive. And they were bad mouthing the FBI. You know, we were just Jeez. we were like in a foreign land. And, okay, but, um, but that wasn't the first time you met him. No, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, it was the first time I had been uh, hired I had, by him. I met him after he got out of jail. <laughs> but after I got him out of jail. But right. uh, you, you want the story of when I got him yeah, out of jail? Yeah, because that made a big impression. I mean, I think that's part of the reason why All he right. respected you well, and that wanted to tell your story. That was, yeah. That was my style in those days. But um, so after uh, Franny McDonald hired me to get him out on medical grounds, we needed him to sign papers. And I had a younger partner at the time named Bart Dalton, whose father was from uh, Newfoundland. Anyway, Bart um, uh, went down to the jail about 50 miles south of Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, and and asked him to sign the papers, and Frank refused. Uh, he had a different idea. He wanted us to sue the uh, the governor, the the federal judge, the, the state court judge, the FBI, the state police. He just wanted us to sue everyone. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, the FBI was visiting him monthly, trying to get him to admit to whatever he knew about Hoffa's disappearance. And this was around 1991. It was 1991, actually, and that was uh, 16 years after Hoffa's disappearance. They were still putting pressure on the Irishman. He had been written up in, in six books about the disappearance as participating in it. He'd been profiled by the New York Times, profiled by Newsweek magazine. And so uh, when I went down there, I knew all that, all that about him. I knew that he was uh, a hitman and he was, he was uh, a suspect in Hoffa's by then murder, not no longer disappearance. And um, he wouldn't sign. My young partner came back, and I sent him back again and said, now listen, you know, be sure he understands that if we go around suing all these people, he'll never get out of jail. He'll bring attention to himself. Mm -hmm. And the FBI will see to it that, <laughs> that we, we then will lose the uh, what looks like a real easy case to get him out on medical grounds. So my partner went back, same story. Frank wouldn't wouldn't go for it. So I said, well, let's double team him. And we went down there. And when I was a junior high school teacher, I knew 
uh, this was this was before drugs. This was 1963. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the tougher kids were, you know, uh, were not not what they became later under the influence of drugs. But you could talk to them as long as you did it in a, when they were misbehaving in a non-threatening, sing-songy kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I was taught that by the vice principal of the school. Well, I was using the same technique on Frank in a non-threatening, sing-songy way. Frank was wheeled in in a wheelchair to the to the meeting, and he was wheeled in by a, ver a former very satisfied client of mine, the former president of the, of the uh, Delaware chapter of the Pagans Motorcycle Club, who had been accused of killing two witnesses uh, in the and leaving them in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. Well, he didn't do it. Uh, another mm -hmm. pagan had done it, but I got him off. He was now in jail on drug charges, and he, he wheeled Frank Sheeran into the we uh, meeting room and then he just this big pagan. I'm five foot eight, you know. I'm a little yeah. short Italian guy. This big pagan throws his arms around me, and uh, I thought, well, that's a good sign. Now I talk to Frank in a sing-songy way. He sees that that Dale respects me, and uh, Frank just looked at me like I was dirt. Sat in his wheelchair, glared at me as I was talking. When I was finished, he didn't acknowledge anything I said. And he just began rattling off who he wanted to sue. I want to sue the Judge Latcham in the federal court. I want to sue Judge Taylor in the state court. And, and he just went on and on and on. And one thing I knew from my experience in, in law enforcement when I was a homicide investigator, when a patrol car gets word of, of two guys fighting outside the Walnut Street Lounge or some other bar, they don't jump on that. They don't. They don't make a beeline in their patrol cars for that. They give those fighters a chance to wear themselves out before they get right. there. So I let them wear themselves out. Let them talk, let them talk, let them talk. And finally, he seemed to be done. And I said, are you done, Frank? And he said, yes, I'm, I'm done. I said, well, I just wish you could hear yourself talk, because then you'd know <laughs> you weren't making any sense at all. We're going to file for uh, early parole based on your medical condition. That's what we do. We know how to do it. My partner's going to return in a week, and you better have signed those papers, or you better get yourself another lawyer. And I doubt that you're going to get one who will, who will file these crazy lawsuits that you have in mind. Guard, we're out of here. So we left. My partner goes down a week later to pick up the papers. He comes back to the office, and, and Bart's a big guy, 6'3", athletic. He comes back to the office, pale as a ghost. He said, Charlie... I, I've never heard anybody talk that way about another person. Frank wouldn't stop talking about anything but you. Nobody's ever talked to him that way and gotten away with it. And I, I felt like I was squaring a, a mafia beef rather than practicing law. I said, well, <laughs> I said, well, did he sign the papers? And, uh, and Bart said, yes, he did. I said, okay, then I guess this one counts. Let's win this. <laughs> and I knew we were going to win it. You know, it was not a problem. Yeah. But I had also had a... I don't know if you read if This is in the book. Um, uh, he had tried to hire me. Did, did I ever tell you that one where he, he had tried to hire me in the uh, in the federal trial? Yes. And uh, and then he uh, while I, I went to federal court with him. This is this was uh, the 18 year sentence <laughs> that he ultimately oh, okay. got. We're about to go and to I, a commercial break, Charlie. Um, I okay. think how many how many seconds do we have here, Ben? 
And I, I want you to tell the story. Okay, we've got 30 seconds. Let's tell that story when we come back from our break. I want to tell that story. I want to talk about, oh, my gosh, there's so much to talk about. The colorful language, the, you know, the gangster lingo. Oh, my see. God, yeah. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, and, and really, you know, how he debilitated between the, the years that when you first met him and, and, and later on and, and, you know, the reason for that. So when we come back, we're going to be talking to Charlie Brandt. He's the author of... I hear you paint houses, and we'll talk about the title, too, and what that means. And it was the first words that Jimmy Hoffa ever said to Frank Sheeran. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Heck no. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. It's Merging Network. Here's some fun facts about noses and ears I'll bet you didn't know. Did you know your ears secrete more earwax when you're afraid than when you aren't? And generally, people with asthma have better hearing than those who don't. Now, here's a word for you. When someone gets their ears pierced, they're actually piercing their pinna. The pinna is the fleshy part of the earlobe. Did you know it's possible to sneeze so hard you can break a rib? That happened to my husband's secretary once. And according to research, you'll blow your nose 250 times this year. Scientists have also determined that the smell in your right nostril is more pleasant, while the smell in your left nostril is more accurate. By the way, twice as many men as women can wiggle their ears. It's Marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Should you invest in home exercise equipment? My answer is yes. I am a big advocate of purchasing good exercise equipment and exercising at home. Working out at club, rec center, or studio is fabulous also. But I find that people who have exercise equipment at home tend to exercise on a more regular basis. I design home workout gyms for clients, so I'm always keeping up to date with new equipment. But I want you to know that if you don't have the budget to buy a new state-of-the-art piece, you can still purchase used equipment at a great price and get an awesome workout. Garage sales, want ads, and consignment stores are terrific places to pick up used equipment. Some pieces are outdated and not safe to use, but there are others that are wonderful and are great values. Look for good treadmills, stationary bikes, elliptical trainers, and free weights. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Yeah, and you're listening to Frankie Sense and More, and I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and my guest today is Charles Brent, and he is the author of I Heard You Paint Houses. So just before we went to break, Charlie, we were ta- you were going to tell us about the federal trial that you took, um, that you did with, with uh, Frank Sheeran, Frank the Irishman uh, Sheeran. Yes, well, Frank the Irishman Sheeran, who will be played in the movie by Bob De Niro. Which is great. In the movie version, um, which you probably wanted to talk about at some point, but I uh, do. Uh, but I have uh, to say, I have to say, as a character, Frank Frank Sheeran was like six foot four in his heyday yeah. before he shrunk, and and I laughed when it was like Robert De Niro, and like, how are they going to make him look so tall? <laughs> but well, it's, it's uh, Hollywood, right? <laughs> well, my cousin Carmine, who was a, a producer of, uh, of a number of films, including Bruce Willis's Die Hard with a Vengeance, he told me that they. They will create a desk to scale so uh-huh. that he's sitting behind the desk and he looks so much larger than he is 
because the desk is proportionately smaller. Right. Uh, and they do that with all the whole room. And then they That's surround fantastic. him with well, the other actors, Al Pacino, who's yeah. going to play Jimmy Hoffa. He's very short. Uh, Joe Pesci, who's going to play the, the mob boss, Russell Buffalino. Oh, is he? Behind. Wow. He's, he's very short. So yeah. De Niro will then appear larger. And I have to tell you, I had a meeting with him, as you know from the book, uh, with De Niro, Scorsese, and the screenwriter, Steve Zalian, who won the Oscar for Schindler's List. I had a four-hour meeting with them, and, and De Niro is listed as, I think, 5'10", or something like that. And he looks bigger. <laughs> and he's, oh, you know, yeah. he's, kind of a, he's kind of a buffed guy. He, he just looks bigger, carries himself well, has good posture. So He I seems like see a really it. nice man. Oh, God, were they something. And, and very, very uh, intuitive. The, the, mm-hmm. the meeting was supposed to last an hour. It lasted four hours in a hotel in Manhattan. I like and, how you uh, said they didn't serve dinner. <laughs> no, they didn't. Like, well, they only expected it to be an hour, so they had Pepperidge Farm yeah. cookies. And, you know? yeah. and I okay. had flown well, in from we got to go Idaho. Back to the I'll trial for a minute, then we'll come back to the movie. How's that? We promised All right, well, we have to go back. This was about 10 years before I got him out. Mm-hmm. Um, I got him out in 91, so this was around 1981. Um, and he was pending trial, and he came to my office and wanted me to represent him in this labor racketeering trial in federal court. So I quoted him a fee, and part of it was up front, part of it was as we went along, and uh, I went to court with him. And it was what they call in the, in our system, I don't know about Canada, an arraignment mm-hmm. where you enter your plea of, of guilty or not guilty. Bail is set, and uh, certain scheduling events are set, but it's in a formal setting in the courtroom, and the federal judge is sitting up there in his robe, and uh, I'm sitting there with Frank, and they've got these well-heeled, well-dressed Philadelphia lawyers sitting there with the uh, the rest of the defendants. Bobby Rispo of the Philly mob, uh, Eugene Baffa, more closely associated with Tony Provenzano of the uh, New Jersey mob, uh, Eugene Baffa's son, then a guy, I, I don't know his first name, named Cohen. And these guys were the brains behind the scheme to uh, to allow certain trucking companies like Coca-Cola uh, or companies that had trucks like Coca-Cola to not have to pay union wage. And uh, Frank was accused of doing this. Wow. So I sat there with these people, and their lawyers had uh, the gold cuff links and monograms on their starched uh, cuffs. I used to see monograms on shirts, uh, pockets maybe, you know, in the breast, but these were on their cuffs, some kind of style up there. So we went through the arraignment. Then we're in the hallway waiting for Frank to go in and sign his bail. And he said to me, uh, and he stammered, so I'm going to imitate him. Don't get me wrong. I like the way you handle yourself and all. But but that, that up front part, and i got no problem with the fee, but, but that up front part, uh, that, that's for motions and paperwork and, and stuff. Just let those other lawyers in there file the paperwork, prepare the paperwork, and you just sign it. So you, you, you really don't need to do anything for that upfront money. So you, you know, I I I want to I don't want to pay that. And I never negotiate with a client. So yeah, I said Frank, uh, you're gonna have to get yourself another lawyer. You agreed to the fee in my office. That's the fee. 
I do my own work. I don't know whose side any of those lawyers are really on. I don't know whose side any of your co-defendants are really on. But I'll be on your side when I prepare paperwork. I did an about-face and walked out. I didn't even give him a chance to answer me. So that 10 years later, when he came back to me, <laughs> he, he, he knew, he remembered that. He remembered that time he was left at the altar. Well, about a month later, maybe two, two weeks to a month later, it turned out that the Philly mob guy, Bobby Rispo, mm-hmm. was a, was a uh, cooperating witness. He was wired. He was wired the whole time they were, they were in court. He was wired when they had a lawyer's meeting, lawyer and client meetings. And, uh, and, and you know, I, I proved my point to Frank. You know, I don't trust any of those people in there. <laughs> I do my own work. So I was, I was a little bit happy when he called me or when Franny McDonald called me on his behalf to come back down to the prison and represent him on the, uh, on the early parole. But, you know, I, and here's the, here's the thing, why it's relevant. All of this is relevant to me. Is that I learned early on that that and believe me, I learned early on that people have an innate desire to confess. Mm-hmm. Now their their toes might not agree with that idea because their feet are going to go to prison with them. Mm-hmm. But their soul and their conscience, you can you can get to them. Not well, I think that's a really good place to stop for one second and go back and, and find out who Frank Sheeran was and how he became, you know, such an important figure. And, and you know, especially in, in the mafia and in you the, bet. you know, Detroit and Philadelphia and, and that that whole mob scene in New York. Because he is an interesting character and he, and he kind of fell into it in a way. And he, he wasn't Italian, but he was almost adopted by yeah. by Russell, you know, Buffalino. So why don't you why don't you take us back to the early Frank? You bet. Thank you for that. It is time we got to know him. Yeah. <laughs> um, you bet. Uh, Frank was raised a strict Catholic in outside of Philadelphia, kind of Huckleberry thin life that he had. His father spent five years studying for the priesthood, and Frank's uh, mother went to went to mass every single morning. I was also a Catholic and was able to use that in my talks with Frank to mm-hmm. solicit these serial confessions over a five-year period. But um, he went off to war. Uh, he enlisted before the war started, before the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. And he spent the entire war in the infantry in a division that General Patton christened my killer division. He instructed them that they were not to take prisoners. And uh, Frank had really never done anything wrong in his life other than just, you know, kid stuff. Mm-hmm. And here he was in combat in World War II. He served 411 combat days when the average was 80. He was in the beginning of the war to the end of the war. At yeah, 200 combat days, you were eligible for a discharge, but he didn't take it. And he was taught by the officers of the killer division uh when you when i tell you to take a prisoner back behind the lines for interrogation you do that you take him for interrogation when i add hurry back that means you take him just a short distance and and kill him Mm -hmm. and so here was frank in training to be a hitman in the united states army at courtesy of the united states army courtesy of the united states army and uh, or courtesy of Adolf Hitler, 
however you want to look at it. Or Patton, he's a Patton with a tough SOB. So, so Charlie comes back. He comes back to society, and we know what that's like. We see our veterans today, and you know, from all right. the wars, uh, right. they don't always come back the same. And obviously, after 411 days of you know being a killer, uh, you wouldn't come back quite the same. Correct. And and this book is a biography of Frank Sheeran. The, mm-hmm. the Hoffa stuff is maybe four chapters, you know, of, right. of a book about this man, a complicated man, and a man that is very well understood by De Niro in my meeting with him. Uh, they didn't view him as just a simple thug or a caricature of a mafia person. He yeah, was a he really had that, a, a code, an ethics, you know, a code of ethics, kind of, you know. And he had, a, uh, <laughs> he had remorse for what he was yeah. forced to do to Hoffa. Anyway, yeah. he, um, he came back and he kind of floundered around for another um, 10 years, um, working as a truck driver for uh, a supermarket chain. He got married, he had three daughters, and um, he hung around the, the, the Catholic parish. He played football for Shanahan's uh, Irish football team. And um, one day he was at a truck stop in Elmira, New York. Uh, his his uh, rig had broken down, and uh, an old Ita- older Italian man came over to him and said, I can, I can get that fixed for you and get you started. Well, it was Russell Buffalino, who was then the most powerful mafia boss in America. He was a certified mechanic, by the way. <laughs> he, he and Frank a, spoke some, some Italian because he spent time yes, in Italy. Frank, at part of his, his youth, he spent growing up in an Italian neighborhood, and he spoke some Italian. And then with the invasion of Sicily, and he was in the also the invasion of um, Salerno, amphibious, three amphibious invasions, and the invasion of, um, of uh, Anzio. And he spoke some pretty good Italian from those days as well. And he had been in Russell Buffalino's hometown in Sicily. So yeah. uh, Russell began to groom this guy. He sensed, <laughs> he sensed that he was in the, in the presence of a powerful man. I think both of them did. But, but Russell especially knew. If you were in Frank's uh, company, you knew this was a very powerful man. Mm-hmm. He was physically intimidating, but also, I, I don't even want to say there was a menace about him because even when he was, when he had the twinkle in his eye and he was telling an Irish joke, you, you just knew he had charisma. And and, uh, and he was and a Russell, dance instructor. I mean, oh my God, about, yeah, he was. He was. He was. <laughs> came in yay. second. Yeah, hit man dance side. instructor. He liked to dance. Yeah. They had to say, <laughs> Every year, the New York Daily News put on a dance uh, show, you know, and he came in second in the Foxtrot, he and his partner. And he taught his daughters how to dance, and he was a dance instructor while working as a truck driver. He was also a bouncer in nightclubs while working as a truck driver. We're going to go to another commercial break in a few seconds. But when we come back, there's so much to tell about Frank. He's such an interesting man and an interesting character. And as I alluded to before, we're going to talk about, um, you know, the, the, the deathbed confession, if you want to call it that, and all of the interesting characters you won't believe were in this book. Don't go away. We're coming right back. Thank you. All you got? Heck no. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. 
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The Mediterranean diet incorporates the basics of healthy eating, similar to the traditional cooking style of countries bordering the Mediterranean Sea. The Mayo Clinic reports that an analysis of more than 1.5 million healthy adults showed that following the Mediterranean diet was associated with a reduced incidence of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's diseases and a reduced risk of death from heart disease and cancer. The Wall Street Journal cited this study, published by the Journal of the American Medical Association, that shows that the Mediterranean diet can counteract the effects of aging on the brain's ability to function. The diet emphasizes fruit and vegetables, unrefined grains and beans, and includes fish and minimal consumption of meat and full-fat dairy products. Nuts and olive oil play a big part also. Boost your brain by eating the Mediterranean way. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. And we're back. It's Frankie Sensamora. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. My guest today is Charlie Brandt, and he is the author of I Heard You Paint Houses. He's also one of the best interrogation and cross-examination lawyers uh, in the country. So here we are, back with back with Charlie. We were we're gonna we're, we started to talk about Frank Sheeran's um, life, how how we how he set up to become really a hitman, and how he got involved his first meeting with Russell Buffalino into the Italian mob. And let's let's go from there. Where should we take him? He got married. He had three daughters to marry, and he he taught dancing, like you said, to his to his daughters, and then he kind of. Uh, started not to he loved Mary very much but life kind of took him in a different direction and he kind of left her uh, but he came home and he, brought her money every now and then he, yeah he well regularly he he, he was a, a faithful man in, in a way but the more he got into his uh, what he called his downtown way of life uh, especially after he killed his first man and he saw that there was no way out he was in and mm-hmm. Russell had lured him in he just stopped going home regularly, and then he just stopped going home altogether. His wife was a devout Irish Catholic and a really good woman, and, and all his daughters turned out to be really good adults um, and successful in their own ways, uh, even though they grew up with a lot of newspaper articles about their father suspected of killing this guy or suspected of killing that guy. And um, he was um, a complicated man. Yeah. So what what did it what did okay, so some of the lingo, fresh kid. What's a fresh kid? Well let me let me build that up a little bit. In okay. the uh it, it, there's two there, there's an older edition, 
the new edition just came out on the 12th of July. Uh, if a reader wants to order it through Amazon, you have to make sure that you're ordering the book with the yellow burst on it, like a little sunburst that mm -hmm. says directed by Martin Scorsese. Amazon has a glitch right now in their system, and it won't be fixed for a day or two. So okay. the old edition pops up without that, but uh, that that first signifies the new edition. And in the new edition, there is a new photograph, and it, it wasn't in the old one, and it's a, a photograph of Frank and me at the head of a table, a table full of beer bottles, at a retirement benefit for uh, a fellow Teamster. And I would pick odd moments to, to ask uh, Sharon questions that are part of interrogation technique. Mm -hmm. So someone took a picture at the precise moment that I asked Frank Sheeran, why is it that Buffalino had such faith in you and that he, he, he gave you such uh, accolades? Frank, Frank was higher up, even though not an Italian. He was, he was the third highest ranking official in Buffalino's entire mafia family. And uh, uh, Frank said, well, if I tell you that, I'd have to tell you something else. I said, Frank, don't hold out on me. Come on, what are you talking about? He said, you ever heard of Joey Gallo? I said, sure, crazy Joey Gallo. He was whacked in Umberto's clam house. Frank said, a fresh kid. Right away, I knew he had something to confess about, about crazy Joey Gallo. And there's a look on, uh, you can see me in the photograph leaning in toward him with my uh, tape recorder under the table or, you know, on his lap, mm -hmm. actually. And he has a little bit of a bewildered look on his face, which he got whenever he confessed something new to me. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and then he would begin to feel better once he, once he got it off his chest. But the initial confession, he had that certain look that's in the, in the, in the book. So that's where the fresh kid comes from. Well, he... he... His confession. I mean, he had a code. You don't. You don't rat. You're not a rat. You don't rat out. You don't tell anything about anybody. No. And yeah. and because you're going to get whacked. When in doubt, there's when no in doubt. doubt, have no doubt. <laughs> if if they yeah, I'll tell you a story about that. If they if you they get a trip don't to Australia. trust you, <laughs> if they don't trust you, you're dead. When in doubt, have no doubt. Yeah. And I, I when Frank was out and I got him out and Russell had died. And um, I was posing as Frank's biographer who was going to prove that he had nothing to do with the Hoffa disappearance, even though six other books claimed he was involved and the FBI claimed he was involved in a famous uh, report that the FBI did just a couple of three months after Hoffa's disappearance. The FBI, under Bob Garrity, had solved the case. They just didn't know what these various people had done. But through informants, they knew who was involved. And... Um, so, excuse me. <coughs> Tell me where I was. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, you know, he, he had just told you about killing um, Crazy Joe, and it was Crazy Joe's birthday. And there were so many reports that said there were three gunmen that went in, but really, you know, he knew that it was just him and there weren't anybody else. And, and, and the I think it was the... Um, uh, the head investigator, the lead investigator, wrote to you and said, yeah, you know what? He did it. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. And and yeah. and that was very that was you know very telling and very interesting. So we talked about what the fresh kid and going to Australia meant. You went down under, which you know six feet under. Oh, um, I know what they, I was going to tell you. I was yeah. at a birthday party with Frank and and Big Billy Delia, who was the 
the new boss of the Buffalino crime family. And uh, after the Frank blew out the candles, we were in an Italian restaurant. We had lunch. I went back to my office. I was still practicing law at the time. And that night I got a call from Frank that, uh, you know what that, that Billy said to me about you, Charlie, after you left? I said, no, Frank, what did he say? He said, do I trust that guy? I said to him, do I trust that guy? If it wasn't for that guy, I'd still be in jail for another 10 years. I said, wait a minute, Frank, back up here. What did the current boss of the Buffalino crime family say about me? Do I trust that guy? And mm-hmm. he said, ah, F him. I never liked that mother effer, and, and he never liked me. I said, Frank, is that supposed to make me feel better? Yeah, you know? exactly. So Billy, I mean, and Billy never, Billy never trusted me, never liked me. And uh, just, just as the book was coming out, he got word to me uh, through two sources, roundabout word, that Billy is not happy with Charlie. My wife was concerned about it, and I said, well, he, the book isn't out yet. When he sees the book, this is the first edition, when he sees the book, he's going to see that his name is not mentioned once. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, of course, in the new edition, <laughs> with the yellow burst, uh, Billy has become a cooperating witness, the first uh, to the FBI, because of charges they had against him for conspiring to kill uh, witnesses that, that were going to testify against him. And... Um, uh, the first question they asked him when they came to his prison was what happened to Hoffa, and he told him to read my book. He had given it to one of his underlings with an inscription, sometimes you can believe everything you read. Wow. The, the, crazy, Joey, wow. the crazy Joey Gallo hit was, uh, was corroborated by a, an editor at the New York Times. She's the uh, national assignment editor, yeah. and uh, she, ha- she happened to be at Umberto's Clam House, and she eyewitnessed Frank Shear and the lone gunman come in and kill uh, and kill uh, Gallo. Um, and she was on TV on, uh, on on public broadcasting in America on a TV show uh, where it hit her face, but she yeah. positively identified Frank. So when, as the when lone Russell gunman. told asked asked um, Frank to to you know put a hit on somebody, he would just say, "Bring your little brother," which meant bring your yes. gun. Yes, bring right. your that little brother. Really, that was really cute. Now. Here's the thing. I, I want to get through this because we don't have a whole lot of time. But I want to. I want to. You know, make sure people understand that Frank and Jimmy Hoffa. Frank loved Jimmy. They they were very close. They were very close friends. And Jimmy would. And Frank was probably the only person that Jimmy might have trusted to even, you know, go anywhere, get out of whatever he, you know, where he was. So that's correct. This really it it played on Frank a lot. Like you know, Frank had to do it or else he'd be whacked himself. But at the same yeah. time, uh, you know, he had tried to talk sense into into Jimmy, who was going off the deep end with um, all the stuff that you know had happened to him. I mean, he had been persecuted yeah. and persecuted by Bobby Kennedy, and he had a, you know a whole committee just trying to to pound him and, and put him in yeah. jail. Talk about well, that Frank. A bit. Yeah, you're, you're right. Frank was very devoted Hoffa man. Uh, Frank became very good at, at being a union official, and he believed that despite the fact that Hoffa helped himself at times to money uh, and, and also had people killed, Hoffa was driven to do his best for the working men and women of America. And Sheeran believed that, and so did the mafia. They respected him for, for that part of, his, of Hoffa's personality. And Frank was quoted as saying, I'll be a Hoffa man till they pat my face with a shovel and steal my cufflinks. And, wow. and he meant it. Mm-hmm. And 
the mob, when they when they want to do a high-profile hit, they get somebody that's close to the victim, somebody that has access to the victim, and and they spring it on you. And Frank said to me, if I said no to Russell, Jimmy would have been just as dead, and I'd have gone to Australia with him, meaning mm-hmm. down under. Mm-hmm. And and the the that feeling, those feelings that Frank had. At the moment, he was told to do what he had to do. So the day he died, uh, what attracted Robert De Niro to this uh, to this book, what caused them to contact me to get the rights. And now Scorsese will be directing it. As I mentioned earlier, Al Pacino will, will be in it, Joe Pesci and Bob De Niro, and they, they expect to start filming in January of this coming year. And, and I know they're going to nail it. And, and I was just, when I met with them, I said, you know, I know you guys understand this, man. And they said, no, we do. We truly yeah. do. I thought it was interesting. I mean, ever since that day, you know, I, I, I guess Frankie had his, um, his face in a bottle of wine. You know, he drank and drank and drank because he needed to yeah. forget or, or, you know, lose himself and lose himself from yeah. his memories. But Jimmy Hoffa did not allow alcohol around him or smoking. And so when That's the guy from his company... They, and they were never, straight shooters, except for Frank. <laughs> and he never, and Frank never cheated on his. I mean, uh, Hoffa never cheated on his wife. No, Hoffa was he was, was a, a very man. moral man in, in an old fashioned sense. Uh, um, he had morality, and and Frank really respected the heck out of him. I think. But don't you think Frank, that, the, that the hardest part for him, and we're going to go break, but I think the hardest part for, besides having to kill a friend of yours, was that Frank knew that the family would always wonder what happened to him. You know, usually you can, the usual way of doing it was doing it publicly, so the family could, you know, put their loved one to rest, bury them. But, but, Hoffa's family didn't yeah, know. To, they had no idea. To make him disappear, and the hardest part for Frank, in his conscience, what bothered him the most was that right after Jimmy disappeared, Frank called Hoffa's wife and offered whatever help he could be to try to find Jimmy and to do what he could to find Jimmy, all the while knowing that he had killed Jimmy. And that haunted him, that phone call. He said to me, what kind of man does that? Well, yeah. you know, you you do what, what you have to do. Does that? Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're going to another break, and we'll find out what kind of a man does that because we have some more to tell about him when we come right, right back with, Char- with Charlie Brandt. Don't go anywhere. Thank you. No, Thank you. we're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Spring and summer are great times to go green. 
Choosing to eat green vegetables and fruit on a daily basis is a fantastic idea. Whether it's asparagus, lettuce, spinach, or artichokes, green produce is a wonderful choice full of essential nutrients. Green beans, broccoli, edamame, and avocados are delicious and very nutritious. Cucumbers, peas, and peppers contain lutein, which helps protect against cataracts and macular degeneration. Green fruits like grapes and kiwi not only taste delicious, they're full of antioxidants. Leafy greens are also excellent sources of folate, a B vitamin that helps reduce the risk of birth defects and helps keep our hearts healthy. So next time you're grocery shopping, choose fresh green vegetables and fruit and go green. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. We're back. I'm speaking to Charlie Brandt. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. You're listening to Frankie Sense and More. And boy, what a what a great show we have for you today. I heard you paint houses. Those were the first words that Jimmy Hoffa said to Frank Sheeran. And why don't you tell us what that means, Charlie? Well, the paint a house is to whack a guy. The paint is the blood that spatters on the walls and the floor. That's the title of the book. The movie has the working title of The Irishman, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, De Niro was on the Charlie Rose show recently, and he said he wants to go back to the original title of the book for the movie. And, and I hope they do. Yeah. But, when do they expect that to be out? Well, uh, probably early uh, 2018. Uh, they're going to start filming in 2017, coming up in January. So it, it's probably one of those deals where they, they, they show it just before the year ends, so it's eligible for the Academy Awards. Yeah, it's that, better. that next February. So I want to go back to your book for a second because there's some very interesting people that, that show up. There's Senator Boggs, there's Joe Biden, there's, um, you know, we, we mentioned the Kennedys, there's Bobby and, and, and his brother and, you know, the president. And, and the president, um, it sounds like the president was killed in your book because of Bobby because Bobby's relentless pursuit of the mafia. And I don't remember who said it, but it was something, I think in the book you said something like, um, if you want to kill a dog, you cut off the head. And, and Yeah, that was, uh, that was Carlos John Marcello, was... the boss of uh, the New Orleans boss, whose territory includes Dallas and Alabama right. and Mississippi and certain other places. But uh, Marcello especially uh, was highly motivated to... Uh, to want to get rid of Bobby Kennedy as the Attorney General. And he's quoted as saying that the Sicilians believe that you cut off a dog's head and the tail dies too, meaning that the head was, was President Kennedy and the tail was Bobby Kennedy. Now, there have been other books that have asserted that the mob killed Kennedy. Uh, mm-hmm. Bobby Kennedy Jr. was on the Charlie Rose show about a year ago, and he said that his father always believed that the mafia killed his brother Jack, that his father, Bobby Kennedy, gave lip service to the Warren Commission report but believed it to be a shoddy piece of craftsmanship, is the quote. As well, the the, uh, the federal government put together a, uh, a House Select Committee on Assassinations in 1976, 13 years after um, after Jack Kennedy was killed, and it was to, to study the Kennedy assassination and the Martin Luther King Jr. assassination. And the head of that committee, general counsel, is currently a uh, 
a professor at Notre Dame, G. Robert Blakey. And Blakey has been on television a number of times saying that the mob killed Kennedy and got away with it. It's just mm -hmm. that none of these people have any evidence. I have a confession, mm -hmm. a confession from Frank Sheeran that uh, although he didn't know what he was doing at the time, he was um, instructed to pick up uh, a duffel bag with rifles from Monty's restaurant in Brooklyn. It was given to him by Tony Pro Provenzano, who uh, later became an arch enemy of, um, of Hoffa's and, um, and was instrumental in Hoffa's death. But at this point, he gave Frank that bag. Frank drove it, as instructed, to an airstrip outside of Baltimore, where another uh, member of the Genovese family, uh, Provenzano was Genovese, another member of the Genovese family picked up the uh, rifles. Now, that was 1963, uh, before uh, Kennedy's death. Frank said, I had no idea, and I don't have to tell you, there's nobody who could ask about something like that. Right. But then, but then when Jack Ruby killed uh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, Sheeran was was convinced that the mob was involved, but again, he had no one he could ask. And then in 1974, Sheeran was privy to a discussion that led to an argument between Russell Buffalino and Jimmy Hoffa, where Buffalino said to Hoffa, there are those higher up than me that feel that you're not showing appreciation for Dallas. And that was picked up on further uh, as, uh, yeah, as, as Sheeran was getting ready to take Hoffa to the Warwick Hotel, uh, <clears throat> Buffalino took uh, Frank aside and said, tell your friend what it is. Mm -hmm. Well, those words, what it is, means tell your friend he's going to be killed. Mm -hmm. Tell your friend what it is. Frank, to, to, who loved Jimmy, said, you know, Jimmy's pretty powerful himself, Russell. And Russell said, you're dreaming, my friend. If they could take out the president, they could take out the president of the Teamsters. Then when Frank got uh, Hoffa home uh, to the Warwick, Frank begged Hoffa to, to back down and do what, what Russell wanted him to do, which was stop pursuing his goal of recapturing the Teamsters Union that he lost when he went to jail. And, uh, and, and Hoffa expounded further and told Frank, you know those rifles that you took to Baltimore? Well, they were for use in Dallas. And uh, so... Frank told me that. I put that in the book. The mm -hmm. book came out in 2004. In 2008, pursuant to, an, uh, to a, a new law, a new statute, federal statute, they began releasing more material about the JFK assassination. They started releasing it, I think, in 1992. But in mm -hmm. 2008, they released FBI reports in which uh, Frank is totally corroborated by, by Carlos Marcello. Uh, overheard at Texarkana Prison, and and those those FBI reports appear in a book called The Road to Dallas in a paragraph paragraph on page four four hundred eleven, just like Frank's wow. number of combat days, days and the days of combat. Isn't that interesting? And and Frank had met Jack Ruby a couple of times in in the presence of him. Yeah, yeah. Frank uh, Frank would, would be with Hoffa in Chicago. They would stay at the Edgewater Beach Hotel, and. Uh, and they would have dinner with, with Sam Giancana, the mafia boss of Chicago. And Jack Ruby would be at that dinner with a stripper that he had brought for uh, Giancana. And mm -hmm. Frank told me that, that Jimmy's son, the current president of the Teamsters, 
James P. Hoffa, was at one or one or two of those dinners and knows that his father knew Jack Ruby. And uh, then it turns out that um, another mafia writer by the name of Dan Moldea, <clears throat> excuse me, a Hoffa writer, <clears throat> um, he wrote a book called The Hoffa Wars that became the movie that Jack Nicholson played Hoffa in. And Dan Moldea wrote in his book that he had a, uh, a tape recording of James P. admitting to him that his father <clears throat> knew Jack Ruby. So anyway, that's all. That's all in, in my book. It's all and in I your book. Credit, I give credit where I, I learned it the from one another source. the yellow source, sticker but. from Amazon, right? Get the yep. yellow sticker because it includes fifty new pages of, of stuff that wasn't included in the old yeah. book. And, and, on, and it's fascinating. On the break, you asked me about Donnie Brasco, yes. played by Johnny Depp in the movie. Well, Joe Pistone, the real Donnie Brasco, is a dear friend of mine. His emails to me begin Sir Charles, and I my emails to him begin Your Honor. And we wrote a book together, a sequel to Donnie Brasco, called Donnie Brasco Unfinished Business. And that's also available uh, by uh, on Amazon. Uh, and, Don, and, and Joe introduced me to the singer Al Martino, who played Johnny Fontaine in the Godfather movies, the singer. And, yes. uh, and we became friends. And he's, he, wow. he passed away in 2009, October 2009. But he told me that he got his role in The Godfather, against the wishes of the director, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, he got it through his godfather, Russell Buffalino. Wow. Uh, and that's that's why he's in the movie. Well, I was speaking at the Sun Valley Writers Conference out here in Idaho, and I told that story. And afterwards, a woman came up to me and identified herself as Wanda Ruddy. She said that her husband, Al Ruddy, was the producer of The Godfather, and that Al and I should talk. She asked me, did you, did you know that Russell had final script approval for The Godfather. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. I said, uh, you know, it's hard for young people today to realize just how powerful the mafia was. You see a, a TV show like The Sopranos, and they're yeah. fighting over nothing. They're fighting over nothing uh, yeah. relative to the power they had at, so at one time. Your wife, your wife, you know, she was a little bit scared. And she was she she felt better when Frank was still alive, kind of to protect you. Uh, do you yes, ever feel did. fear from any of this now, or no, not not at all. Uh, there's a, another book I co-wrote with Lynn DeVecchio, uh, the, the supervisor of the Mafia Commission case. Mm -hmm. uh, and what Lynn did, uh, this was a 1986 case that brought down the heads of the five families. That's the nationwide ruling commission. And what Lynn did was he turned the tables on the notion of cut the head off and the tail dies, too. He cut the head off the mafia in 1986, mm -hmm. working under Rudy Giuliani. And gradually the mafia has, has disintegrated uh, to the point today where it's nickel-dime stuff. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned on The Sopranos, it's realistic, but right. they're fighting over, over nonsense. Charles, there's so yeah. much to get into this hour, and we're down to our last three minutes. So I'm going to hand it to you. Say whatever it is that you want to say. Um, but first, I want to remind people to go to Amazon, buy the book, I Heard You Paint Houses by Charles Brandt. And it is um, get the one with the yellow sticker that talks about Martin Scorsese in the movie, because that's the one that includes the extra 50-page bonus that just came out. Okay, take it away. It, it also includes material that, that occurred between me and these Hollywood people at our meeting. So that, mm -hmm. that, that's fun, too. There's a little, a little look at the Hollywood guys 
uh, from my perspective. Uh, the thing that I really want to talk about is that this is a biography. I can't emphasize it enough. This is a full story about a man's life. Uh, Frankie, you and I were talking about how strange some lives develop, mm-hmm. how they how they meander around to reach a certain conclusion. When when I had my last interview with Frank at Lankanaw Hospital, he had had some pain in his in his stomach, uh, and he had to go uh, undergo some testing. They were concerned it might be cancer. It turned out it wasn't. It was a reaction to some of the medicine that he was on, and he was about to be discharged. And I was there with my tape recorder uh, and uh, videotape recorder, I should say. Everything else had been on audio tape. And you can hear him on audio tape on my website, charlesbrandauthor.com, and go to an NPR interview where you hear Frank Sheeran. But uh, he gave me the last interview where he stood behind the truthfulness of everything he had he had given me before. He and I said a Hail Mary and an Our Father together, two Catholic prayers. Then he took uh, communion from the uh, the young priest at the hospital. And then, unbeknownst to me, I, I mean, we, we knew he was going to have legal problems as a result of my book. His lawyer, the former DA of, of Philadelphia, Emmett Fitzpatrick, told him, because of your health, I can keep you out of jail, but you're going to be indicted based on, on Charlie's book. And his We're running out was, of time. Oh, my gosh. We're out of stopped, time. He stopped eating, and he killed himself. Yeah, he stopped eating, and he killed himself. And that's kind of against a Catholic thing, I would think. But it's, it's, it's illegal. But It's illegal. It, yeah. It, it, it's, Charlie, it's, thank it's, you so much. Thank you yeah. so much. I have to bring it back because there's so much more. <laughs> You're going to have to come back and well, visit us again. But thank you so much. Charles Brandt, I heard you paint houses. You heard it here on Frankie Sense and More. Thank you, Frankie. What fun. Thank you. She know you, she the one way to turn the world.